0: Hi everyone, welcome to The Science of Beauty, a podcast from Allure. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Jenny Baye, Executive Beauty Director. And on this podcast, we're going to be
1: diving into the science behind beauty and the products that we are always talking about and testing
0: here at Allure. Today's episode is all about hydration. And because we're taking this deep dive into the world of K-beauty, hydration is possibly the most important topic. That's right, Michelle. And in our previous episode on
1: layering, you heard dermatologist Marie Jin talking about the importance of hydration and how layering can help lock in moisture.
0: So how do we help hydrate our skin
1: in the first place? To answer that question and more, we have Dr. Christine Lee, a senior research and development manager with AHC, our partners in producing this episode. Christine, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background?
2: I'm Christine Lee. I'm the senior R&D manager overseeing Unilever's face care business in North America. I received my PhD in 2000 in physical chemistry from the University of Florida. And then I joined Unilever and have worked on the AHC brand for about two years.
0: So Christine, AHC is based in Seoul, South Korea. And I know you work really closely there with researchers. What can you tell us about what's trending in K-beauty right now?
2: So in Asia, a lot of the skincare formulations, skincare brands are really focused on achieving Bright, hydrated, glowy skin. In Korea specifically, hydrating formulas are really key to rejuvenating the skin so it looks and feels smooth and soft. But in addition, in Asia, consumers just are so familiar and comfortable with multi-step routines, um, really elaborate application techniques like they talk a lot about double-cleansing Deep massaging, they'll even talk about like rubbing product in with your knuckles. You know, they talk a lot about slapping and patting and tapping. So they're, you know, they're just really familiar and comfortable with application techniques that we don't talk about in the US as much. The other thing too that is really interesting about the Asian consumer is the way they, the words that they use uh, to describe the look and feel of their skin that they're looking for. So they'll talk about dewy or glassy or porcelain skin and like i said much of this is really foreign to the american woman but it just really shows kind of the level of involvement that asian women have in their skincare routine
0: it's like my perfect skin (laughs) everything you're saying i'm like yes 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 more of that please (laughs) you mentioned hydration which is of course the the topic of our episode today As basic as it seems, can you just define hydration for us as it relates to skin?
2: I mean, in short, really, hydration pretty much means increasing the skin's water content. Really, at the end of the day, dry skin is more than just a lack of water. When your skin is dry or dehydrated, it can start to appear flaky, dull. It really starts to feel uncomfortable, tight, irritated. It can start to feel like you're getting more sensitive. This really is indicating a much more fundamental breakdown in the he- healthy biological processes that are intended to keep skin soft and supple and smooth. Skin's normal renewal processes slow down in the absence of sufficient hydration, which then leads to further dryness and it starts to pull your skin into this downward spiral.
1: All right. I don't love where this is going. What happens in the
2: downward spiral? Our skin's natural exfoliation processes slow down, which leads to an accumulation of skin cells on the surface. And these kind of accumulated or aggregates of skin cells start to form flakes, which are another indicator of dryness. And drier skin surfaces also lead to increased surface texture, roughness, which traps light, um, which causes the skin to lose translucence and appear dull and lifeless. Whereas hydrated skin, on the other hand, is smooth, radiant, feels softer, more elastic, more comfortable, touchable. So it's not really just a dry or white hydrated. It's really, you know, kind of biologically working in the way it's supposed to versus comfortable, soft, smooth, hydrated.
1: Okay, so we've definitely established that hydrated skin is the way to go. Can you tell us a little bit about how hydration levels can fluctuate? Like we know they can change over time, but can they
2: change just in the course of a single day? Water is constantly evaporating through the living layers of our skin toward the out dry outside world. Some water flux is really necessary for the skin to function normally, but what you're really trying to avoid is excessive water loss. And this flux we call transepidermal water loss. Could you take us through what transepidermal water loss is? So Our skin structure is really designed to avoid excess water loss in two ways. One is our skin's lipid matrix that acts as a barrier to hold water in, and the second is our skin cells which contain what we call natural moisturizing factors, and those moisturizing factors bind the water into the skin cells. Moisturization also helps replenish the lipid barrier um, and helps the lipid barrier really hold the moisture into skin either by, again, like replenishing those lipids or by physically holding water in the skin, such as through occlusion. So now the fun part. Let's talk
0: about all those incredible products out there that can help prevent and reverse this water loss and keep our skin dewy, glassy, bouncy, all those great K-beauty words. There are certain ingredients that we should all be looking for in our hydrators or moisturizers, We'd love for you to help break them down for us, starting with humectants.
2: These are materials that are really water-loving molecules. By their chemical nature, these ingredients attract and bind water. The key humectant that is typically used in lotions and creams is glycerin. Other humectants that we use include panthenol or propyvive um, urea, hyaluronic acid, Hyaluronic acid is actually a, a good one in that um, it's known to actually bind up to a thousand times its weight and moisture. So it's a very highly effective humectant.
1: Hyaluronic acid does get a lot of love on ingredient lists in skincare. Now, another group of ingredients we hear about a lot in the context of hydration are occlusives. Can you tell us a little
2: bit about those guys? So the chemistry of occlusives is they don't necessarily bind water to the molecular structure themselves. Instead, occlusive ingredients help regulate water in the stratum corneum or the skin surface by creating a film that effectively seals moisture within the skin, preventing excessive transepidermal water loss. So occlusive skincare ingredients can include waxes, petrolatum, uh, dimethicone, and silicones, which are ingredients that you'll commonly find in moisturizers. One thing we always say too is that occlusives sometimes get a bad reputation. Because consumers sometimes think that occlusives will block their pores or suffocate skin. And it's really important to kind of differentiate between something that would be 100% occlusive like saran wrap. So if you put saran wrap on your skin, that would form a 100% occlusive barrier that wouldn't allow any water to flux through the skin. And you can see all kinds of like potential damage from like wrapping your skin in saran wrap. Occlusive ingredients that we're using in skincare products are really not 100% occlusive, They do help to seal and trap the water in the skin, but they do allow for the transfer of water that is really critical and necessary for normal skin function.
0: So listeners, do not saran wrap your face at home. (laughs) And what about emollients? What are
2: those? So emollients are typically oil or lipid-rich materials. Um, They're not necessarily water-soluble. So in that way, they're more like occlusives, but they also don't have the ability to form an occlusive film So emollients are often used to soften and smooth skin. A lot of times they impart a silky skin feel. Ingredients that would fall in this classification are things like coconut oil, grapeseed oil, soybean or sunflower seed oils. And they're not only common as oils, but they can act as precursors to skin lipids. Or even in some cases, these will convert into essential fatty acids in the skin. But that whole class of like oils and triglycerides would work as emollients.
1: So revisiting the layering process that we talked about in our last episode, how exactly would you use all of these different types of ingredients together to maximize
2: your skin's hydration? You might want to put the occlusive on after you would use something that's more water and humectant rich, but really, actually, to be honest, we put all three into a single product a lot of times. Are there any other products that we should be seeking out for their hydrating properties? One of the things that we use an awful lot in skincare are lipids or lipid precursors. These could include ingredients like fatty acids, triglycerides. Um, It could also include ingredients like ceramides or proceramides. Another classification would be protein precursors such as peptides that you can um, deposit onto your skin. These materials, their kind of primary function is to help to repair the barrier. So they lead indirectly to skin hydration improvements. So you may not see like an immediate boost in hydration when you use these ingredients, but over time as they work to help repair the barrier, then they, they deliver more of a long lasting benefit. Is there a specific product you'd point to from AHC that combines these ingredients? Our aqualuronic range actually does contain the triple hyaluronic acid, but also contains ceramides, which we talk about as being naturally occurring elements in our skin that, again, improve the barrier, improve moisture retention. And then our AHC products also have the mineral-rich French seawater, which is really a fun ingredient to work with.
0: Can I ask you about the triple hyaluronic acid? What does that mean?
2: There are different molecular structures of hyaluronic acid that are slightly different in size um, or what we call molecular weight. And because of that slight difference in their molecular weight or size, they preferentially penetrate to different layers of the stratum corneum. So they bring that moisture binding, that water binding behavior to different layers of the stratum corneum so that you don't just get like the very most superficial layers of the skin or the deepest layers of the skin hydrated. You're really kind of bringing bringing and holding those ingredients at different layers of the skin.
1: Are there other factors that determine whether or not an ingredient
2: penetrates into those deeper layers of our skin? I mean, so size is a critical factor in terms of where ingredients will penetrate. The other thing that drives the different degrees of penetration is how sort of compatible an ingredient is with the, the skin molecular, the skin structure. So something that's like designed to, to very much mimic the chemistry of the skin will have a tendency to kind of get sucked in and absorbed into the different layers in different ways.
0: So my first introduction to AHC was with a product called Eye Cream for Face. At first around the office, we thought maybe it was just kind of a funny translation from Korean, but no, it is actually an eye cream designed to be used all over your face. Can you tell us a little bit about this culty
2: product and why it's such a great moisturizer? The eye cream for face was uh, designed with all of those anti-aging and hydrating and brightening benefits of an eye cream. It was a lighter formula at a more attainable price point. The moisturizer itself contains ingredients that are sourced from like maca roots, that are found at 4,000 meters above the sea level, thrive in extreme weather conditions. It includes those Akasha proteins, uh, peptides, like I talked about, that um, you know, are known to provide skin smoothing effects and you know, are absorbed into the skin and actually go through this kind of conversion process so that they really deliver their kind of full functionality. And then you know really at the end of the day, the spa spas in Korea, their master esthetician, J. Kim, He uses this eye cream for face for all treatments on the face, not just for the eyes, because it really is known to help make the skin appear healthy, leaves a lovely texture. In fact, it's so popular that one tube of the eye cream for face is sold every three seconds in Korea.
0: It's also just really fun to say,
2: (laughs) Eye cream for face. Eye cream for face, yeah.
0: You know, if
1: it's so concentrated and it's gentler and there's all these great things about eye cream, why does it come in these like tiny pots that we can't just spread it everywhere?
2: Yeah, I think that is the idea behind the eye cream for face is that, you know, we usually look at like very concentrated products to apply around the eye. But, you know, that benefit can, you know, really translate to the full face as long as it's in a format that spreads, is convenient to use.
0: Something Jenny and I have talked about before is Anytime we have interviewed an expert or a celebrity or anything about what's your secret to great skin, it's almost become such a cliche answer of I drink a lot of water. Can you talk to us about does drinking more water
2: actually do anything for your skin? When we talk about the skin and the effect of drinking water on the skin, even though the skin is our largest organ, we always talk about it in that it is like the least vital when it comes to receiving nutrients and water from what we eat and drink. So you can see, like if you're severely dehydrated, you can see the effects of that on your skin. But drinking water isn't necessarily going to go directly to hydrate the skin then. Again, it's like the last thing that's going to receive it. So that's why we talk about it being so critical that you provide skin its hydration from the outside. And how do external factors
1: affect your skin, like air conditioning, for example? This is a,
2: a... term that we're talking about a lot in R&D, which is we call it the exposome, which is basically everything that your body is exposed to from the time you're born until you die. And the effect of you know all of the factors of your external environment, the effects that those factors have on your skin and your health, it includes things like the climate that you live in, pollution, the humidity of the environment that you're in, uh, your sun exposure, your diet, your lifestyle, so, my husband and I have been having
1: a humidifier debate this winter. I'm trying to be really good about putting the humidifier on every night because of the dry heat, blah, blah, blah. He thinks it sounds like a spaceship. He's like, it's giving me nightmares. You have to turn it off. How much of a difference can a humidifier make, if any?
2: I'm a big believer in it. I think most people are familiar, right, with when you go from summertime into wintertime, you know, you most people can see or a lot of people can see the effect that has on their skin. You know, in the summer, your skin just naturally kind of looks more hydrated, even if you're not moisturizing every day. Whereas in the winter, you need to be so much more fastidious about applying the moisturizer every day. In fact, when we do our clinical testing, we specifically don't do clinicals in the summer because it's actually really hard to find people with visible dryness in their skin in the summer. Whereas in the winter, when people haven't gotten back into that kind of moisturizing habit, you can find a lot of people, you know, our incidence of dry skin goes up dramatically in the winter. uh, And that has to do with relative humidity in the air.
1: I'm going to tell him that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I talked to a PhD in hydration and she said we should use the humidifier. (laughs) What do you recommend, Christine, in terms of the dampness of your skin. So we've heard from dermatologists, especially in the winter, you should put your body lotion on when your skin is a little bit damp to kind of trap that water in. Is that something that you recommend for the face as well?
2: I recommend it for everywhere on your body. The best time to use a product is right after. Use a leave-on product is right after you wash your skin um, when the skin is damp. So you know we talked about before that you know the job of a humectant, which is really the workhorse moisturizing ingredient in most skincare products, its job is to pull water into the skin to help hydrate it. So if you apply a moisturizer on dry skin, the source of that water is either coming from the air or coming from the product itself or possibly coming from water that's fluxing through from the the living layers out to the outside air. But when you apply a moisturizer on damp skin, those humectants have an abundance of water available to them to bind. And so you really provide like the highest levels of humectancy when you, you apply a product on wet skin.
1: So if you could tell the skincare loving world or just the world, period, one thing about caring for their
2: skin, what would it be? No matter what you're looking for at the most fundamental level, um, you really most critically need to keep your skin hydrated. Keeping it moisturized every single day is is so important, you know, not just for making it look better for that day, but for the long-term health, beauty of your skin. And so keep it hydrated.
0: Great. Okay. So fascinating. I feel like we learned so much. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Thank you, Christine. We will hydrate with new passion. When we come back, we're talking to dermatologist Claire Chang, who's on a one-woman mission to bring all of the best K-beauty secrets to the side of the world.
1: And we are back with Dr. Claire Chang, who is actually in South Korea right now. Dr. Chang, could you introduce yourself?
3: My name is Claire Chang, and I am a board-certified dermatologist at Union Square Laser Dermatology in Manhattan, New York. I go back and forth almost monthly from South Korea, and when I'm in South Korea, I have the pleasure of working with amazing dermatologists here and consulting for skincare companies. But my ultimate goal is really to bring the latest beauty trends back to my patients in the States.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the latest skincare trends in Korea? What are you noticing?
3: I've noticed that the Korean beauty skincare market in 2021 is really focused on reducing stress and calming the skin. So when I went on my skincare stroll yesterday, I was surprised by how many new products were labeled repair, relief, calming, and soothing. Are there specific ingredients that you're seeing more frequently? Centella Asiatica was hot before, but is really hot on the shelf now, even more so because it's an antioxidant, calming, hydrating, and helps with skin repair. So for our listeners, Centella Asiatica is a plant
0: extract that's used for its anti-inflammatory properties and its ability to hold in moisture. Is that
3: right, Dr. Chang? Yes, I'm also seeing more products that contain green tea and niacinamide to help calm the skin, and a lot more with tea tree oil to help with acne. All of this helps calm and soothe the skin. Uh, sunscreens are also doubling up now. You, I see more multifunctional sunscreens to protect not only against UV, but also including antioxidants and anti-inflammatory ingredients. I think this Korean skincare market really recognizes that people are stressed and are trying to relieve it, at least in the skin. Now, when we think of skin that needs to
1: be hydrated, we think of dry, tight, flaky skin. But what about people whose
3: skin tends to be oily? Are they part of this conversation? Many patients with oily or acne-prone skin tend to skip their moisturizer because they feel it feels too heavy or clogging, but this is a myth. Uh, Going back to the basics of skin type, oily skin is a skin type, along with dry skin, combination skin, sensitive skin. Patients with oily skin tend to have excess sebum production, whereas those with dry skin type tend to have less sebum than normal skin all of these skin types can become dehydrated. Those with oily skin can still have dehydrated skin, which means it can have high sebum levels, but low water content. So while it may have enough lipids to lock in moisture, it may lack natural moisturization factor or may be in an environment with low humidity or air conditioner use. So remember, it's important to keep your skin hydrated in all skin types, even if you're oily or acne prone. This is important, especially in acne patients who may be using drying or irritating products like retinoids, benzoyl peroxide, and acids. Skin hydration is even more important in these patients to maintain a healthy skin barrier.
1: Is there a difference between dryness and dehydration or are they pretty much synonymous?
3: They often go hand in hand. So those with dry skin have lower sebum content, meaning less lipids to lock in moisture. So they then lose more water and become more dehydrated. So many patients with dry skin are more prone to dehydration.
0: I know you have a baby, Dr. Chang, I also have a baby. (laughs) And so I look at my baby's face and it is so bouncy and it looks so hydrated and so moisturized. And obviously Mm. babies don't really use skincare. Why does skin tend to get drier as we age or, or more dehydrated as we age?
3: Uh, yes, I see my baby's skin right now and I'm like, oh, there's like no, it's flawless. There's no li- visible lines, and it looks so bouncy. Unfortunately, as we age, the levels of lipids like ceramides in our skin drop significantly. This has been shown in scientific studies. This makes our skin more prone to becoming dry, irritated, rough, and itchy. The levels of natural moisturization factor also drops as we age, so it makes our skin more prone to dehydration at the same time. So unfortunately, as you get older, your skin may get drier and itchier, and also with more visible wrinkles.
1: Earlier in the episode, we were talking about the different molecular weights of hyaluronic acid. What can you tell us about
3: that in relation to a
1: product's ability to penetrate the skin?
3: Studies have shown that hyaluronic acid of multiple different sizes, ranging from larger to small, so from 50 to 2,000 kilodaltons, can all improve skin hydration, elasticity, softness, and the visible appearance of wrinkles. We don't know yet and more data is needed, but likely a combination of different molecular weights of hyaluronic acid may provide the best results so that you can penetrate, them at dif- penetrate the skin at different depths. So what should people be looking
0: for? Because I feel like when you're looking at packaging, it doesn't necessarily always talk about the molecular weight of your hyaluronic acid. How would people know if what they're buying is the right thing?
3: It's oftentimes in the description. So nowadays, especially with more knowledge and awareness about the different molecular weights, the packaging d- does say, you know, a mixture, a combination, molecular weight, hyaluronic acid or hyaluronic acid complex of different sizes. They usually don't tell you the exact size. Uh, so it's, the, you know, not scientifically, it's harder to really distinguish what they're saying, but usually they'll say it on the packaging now. Got it.
0: One of the things we've seen a lot of in recent years is
3: snail mucin. Is it a natural form of hyaluronic acid? So snail mucin is not a form of hyaluronic acid, but it has sugars that can bind moisture and bind in water and that's why it's used for hydration. It is produced when traditionally when snails got really scared they would secrete this mucin and studies have actually shown that it can help with repairing the skin and hydrating the skin. Of course there's been small studies so more studies are needed on snail mucin.
1: Are there Korean skincare labs with just rooms full of
3: scared snails?
1: Like who like whose job is it to collect the mucin?
3: That's a great question. They're producing it synthetically now. So okay. uh, I, I think uh, people wouldn't be happy about that. Right? I just had a visual
1: of someone, you know, scraping up all the mucin. Okay, so it's chances are if you see snail mucin on the packaging, it's synthetic.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well,
0: I did hear like the legend of it. And I don't know if this is totally true, but that like people, snail farmers were finding that they were dealing with the snails and that their hands were just like miraculously smooth and youthful, Mm
3: -hmm. which I thought was just such a good
0: origin story.
3: (laughs) I heard the same story. And, you know, I, I think that's great. And most of the ingredients that, you know, we see, especially stemming from Asia, do come from these stories and legends.
1: And what about collagen, just since we're talking about molecule size? I think we hear a lot about collagen, obviously, in skincare. And my understanding is that collagen molecules are pretty big, so they don't... Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people think, ooh, collagen going into my skin and plumping it Mm -hmm. back up. But is collagen really, at the end of the day, just a moisturizer that's sitting on
3: top? So collagen is you know, one of the major proteins that help support the skin as well. And it's a protein. So proteins are very, very big. They're made up of amino acids. So if you just apply straight collagen to the skin, it's not going to penetrate. Now there are peptides, shorter peptides, amino acids, which make up peptides that are in skincare products that can penetrate a little bit deeper. There's also hydrolyzed collagen you'll hear about that is smaller in size as well. These collagen molecules are likely not, again, making it to the dermis, but can go into the epidermis. And their role is as a humectant. So it's to attract water and increase skin hydration. Got it. And what about drinking or eating collagen, which we see a lot now? So I honestly, I've seen a lot of studies studying oral collagen supplementation and improving skin visible wrinkles and aging. And none of these studies have shown that the collagen you are ingesting is not digested up and pooped out rather going directly on the skin. So I'm honestly skeptical about oral collagen supplementation. And I always tell my patients not to waste your money. It probably doesn't hurt, but it likely doesn't help at this point based on the evidence. And I would invest more in topical skincare products that have been shown and are tried and true to increase collagen production, like your retinols and your vitamin C and antioxidants.
1: Is there such a thing as too much hydration? Like at a certain <laughs> point, is your skin like that? We
3: I can't take it anymore.
1: And you're just, you're, you're not doing any good anymore.
3: Great question. So your skin is very flexible. It's very versatile. And studies have shown that it can take up to even 300, 400% times their water weight and it conforms their shape to adapt to this, so they swell. Think of your skin like a sponge, which absorbs the water it needs and then it expands and swells, so it gets nice and plump. But beyond a certain point, extra hydration doesn't really help. It doesn't get absorbed into the skin, so it likely gets wasted or evaporates. That being said, there are severe cases where excess moisture can be harmful, where the skin softens too much leading to skin maceration or breakdown, but it takes extreme moisture levels, even over 300% prolonged exposure time. So usually, you know, anywhere between six to 24 plus hours of occlusion under this uh, skin hydration and then occlusion itself, like under a bandage or in between your toes to do any harm to the skin. So I wouldn't worry too much about hydrating too much. Your skin is very versatile.
0: And that's where it's like your skin under a bandaid turns all kind of like white and okay. wrinkly.
3: Yes, it is happening right now to me. My skin cells are very swollen because I put water, there's water under here and aquaphor ointment that occluded it and then the band-aid itself. Is that what happens if you're in the bath too long? It is actually. It's too much hydration for a long period of time. Your hands and your feet are the thickest areas of skin in your body. And the stratum corneum, um, as well, the top most outermost layer of the skin is the thickest in these areas. So as they swell, they kind of bunch up and create this wrinkled appearance. Whereas other areas in your body, the stratum corneum isn't as thick to make that bunching up effect.
0: And are there things that you can do with topicals that help to promote extra hydration? For example, the way that you apply things, is it patting it in? Does any of that make any difference?
3: There are a few things that you can do to make products penetrate better. I recommend using an exfoliating wash or cleanser prior to moisturizing. Exfoliants like salicylic acid or glycolic acid, as well as lactic acid and urea, naturally softens the skin. So it kind of expands those spaces in between the skin cells and it removes away dead skin cells and preps the stratum corneum to improve penetration of skincare products that you apply afterwards. Dampening your skin prior to applying moisturizers can also help soften the bonds between the cells to increase the permeability of the skin. This is because water itself is a very effective natural penetration enhancer. I also recommend toners to help prep the skin. By normalizing the skin pH and hydrating the skin, it can make other topicals more efficient. There are numerous toners on the market now that are different from the older alcohol-based harsh toners that were used in the 1970s. And some contain glycolic salicylic acid to help with oily skin and improve penetration of topicals. And others contain extra boost of hydrating ingredients that will help prep the skin to absorb other ingredients. More recently, In Korea, I've seen more hybrids of toner serum lotions that are more multifunctional. What is your take on mists? Are you a mister? (laughs) Do you believe in misting? I do. There seems to be a lot of hate around facial mist, <laughs> but I do like um, facial mist and facial mist spritz water onto the skin and it can feel very hydrating and refreshing at first. But if this is all you do, after a few minutes, your skin may feel more dehydrated and thirsty for more water. That's because the water you're spraying is likely evaporating and taking some extra water from the surface with it. The science behind this is that in the stratum cornea, about one third of water is down to natural humectants, like your natural moisturizing factors, with the remainder being free water. But the free water levels don't have an effect on skin elasticity. Instead, replenishing the supply of natural moisturizing factor in the skin can help with dehydrated skin by binding to more water. That doesn't mean that using water or face mist altogether um, doesn't work or is not effective. If you are using it, it's important to use it with humectants that can bind it in and with moisturizers or emollients and occlusives that will lock in the moisture immediately afterwards.
1: So when you're flying back and forth from New York to Seoul, what are like the main tenets of your in-flight skincare routine? Do you mist?
3: I do, but mostly because the facial myths are included in our little airplane package that we get. <laughs> so they know, they know that we need our high skin hydration and that they have us covered. So I do miss, but I do carry a little pouch with me that has little eye, hydrating facial masks, antioxidants, like a vitamin C serum. Um, definitely I keep a moisturizing cream to help with my uh, facial skin. And I sometimes carry around a f- face sh- sheet mask with me as well. I'm one of those crazies. So
0: outside of products and really thinking about environmental factors like dry air, what else can we be
3: doing to help our skin stay hydrated? So I definitely recommend using a humidifier to increase the air humidity so that the air is not kind of seeking out the moisture from your skin, especially if you have your AC or your heater on, which dries out the air further.
1: Okay, did everyone hear that? We've got another vote in favor of humidifiers. And my husband is just going to have to deal with that humming noise. It doubles as a weight noise machine. Oh, that's what I should say.
3: (laughs) That's a good idea. So what else? What about rules for showering? I recommend keeping your showers short about five to 10 minutes and avoiding hot showers. Instead, use lukewarm water because um, heat or hot showers can also dry out your skin. Avoid harsh soaps or detergents to avoid stripping your skin of its natural oils as well. Always use sun protection, you know, not only does it contribute to skin aging and to skin cancers, but UV exposure can dry out the skin. And uh, you can use a sheet face mask to hydrate the skin. The mask itself acts as a physical occlusive to help the ingredients soak into the skin. But always remember to apply moisturizers after your sheet mask as well to lock in the moisture.
1: Is there anything, Dr. Chang, that you would say Korean women are doing right now for hydration that we aren't yet? Like something we will be doing in two years
3: to hydrate our skin? I think because the skincare market has become a lot more global, new products in Korea you are you know, coming to America sooner and sooner. And you we are doing kind of all the right things. I think uh, in terms of the beauty market, there are, you know, in Korea, little shots that you can get into the skin of vitamins, and hydrating factors and hyaluronic acid that we actually inject very superficially into the skin in order to get even more hydration and deeper than what topicals are getting that, you know, is not as widespread in America. So we may be seeing more of this technique coming to the States. So we'll have to keep a lookout for that.
1: So injecting like hyaluronic acid, instead of injecting it just in the lips or, you know, along the cheekbones, kind of smaller
3: injections all over? Exactly. And we're, we're doing that in Asia and, you know, in South America and a little bit more, maybe now in the States, but instead of doing deep, depots of injections of um, hyaluronic acid fillers to fill or volumize. We're doing a lot smaller injections very superficially into the skin to help give that chok chuk look. It's very popular here. Wait, can you explain that? What did you just say? Chok <laughs> chuk. It means moist and uh, damp and hydrated all at the same time. Dr. Chang, we have some
0: listener questions for you now. Okay. This one is from Gabby. Gabby says, if you have dry sensitive skin and you're also using retinol, what kind of moisturizer would you suggest applying with it?
3: That is a great question. So as we know, with retinols, especially initially, you can get very dry and irritated, and your skin barrier also gets weakened when you're using retinols. So I would definitely use a moisturizer that contains emollients like ceramides that's going to help repair your skin barrier as well as lock in moisture. This is a question from Cameron.
1: If you know your skin tends to get dry in the winter, what can you do proactively to keep it hydrated?
3: It's great to continue to uh, keep the air moist. The biggest thing with winter is that the humidity of the air surrounding us gets lower. So you want to use humidifiers when you can in your rooms, and especially if you have your heater on. And then you want to really f- increase the skincare use. And that doesn't mean increasing your steps necessarily, but increase the quality of your skincare in order to um, hydrate the skin. So in the wintertime, I always recommend using more oil based products. So skipping your lotions and switching to your thicker creams and moisturizers, maybe switching to to a more occlusive agent as well. All
0: right, our last question is from Megan. Megan says, I'm pregnant and my skin breaks out so easily. What's the best way to hydrate hormonal skin without causing more breakouts?
3: Hormonal skin, acne and oily skin, congested skin, they still need to be moisturized and hydrated. Like I said before, I would use humectant type ingredients like your glycerin, hyaluronic acid, lighter weight lotions rather than your thicker creams in order to hydrate the skin. There's a lot of moisturizers now that contain pregnancy safe products that can help with acne. So your tea tree oil is a great, Product active ingredient that's safe in pregnancy and can help calm the skin, soothe the skin, and help with mild to moderate acne.
0: Yeah, I feel like when I was pregnant and after I gave birth, I got so many questions on Instagram. People being like, "Tell us what you used while you were pregnant." It is—it's such a huge question right
3: now. It is, and unfortunately, so many products we can't use in pregnancy. So it's nice to know the ones we can. Well, this was
0: fascinating. Thank you so much for
3: joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I hope to be back soon.
1: Okay, Michelle,
0: what are your favorite products for hydration? Okay, I like a bunch of them. It is absolutely a step that I never skip, basically, morning and night. I love the emulsion from AHC. I also really like, Dr. Dennis Gross has this hyaluronic acid serum that comes in like a little blue glass bottle that's really great. It's a little bit more liquidy. I also do use snail occasionally. I love the one from Mizon, which is a snail repair ampoule, which comes in a little like dropper bottle. And I do love a mask every once in a while. So I also get deliveries from FaceTory, which is a subscription box, and they do a lot of different products, but they also really focus on sheet masks. So I have a bunch of those just in my drawer that I'll, I'll bring out on a Saturday or a Sunday. And just on a morning, I love to just sit with one on and get a really juicy sheet mask going. All right, Jenny, what are your favorite products for hydration?
1: I have a few. I Like any good hydrator, I love a hyaluronic acid product. And Skin Medica makes one called HA5 that is really, really nice. And I believe it's HA5. I think it has five different kinds of hyaluronic acid with different molecular weights. That is definitely a pricier one. La Roche-Posay at the drugstore has a nice hyaluronic acid that comes in a dropper, like a very silky serum. At night, I'll layer on top of that some... Heavier creams, I like the Fresh Age Delay Black Tea Cream I often come back to. At night, I like to do something that has like a little more of that spa feel hydration. I also really like Olay um, has a line of moisturizers. They call them whips. They're very light creams that in the summer I will often use at night. And they have different ones, like their Regenerist line, for example, has a Regenerist Whip. And I feel like I should also mention my current favorite humidifier, which is the canopy. My husband, as we've established, thinks it buzzes a little too loudly, kind of hums a little too loudly at night. But my issue with humidifiers is always cleaning them out. And this one has this separate little compartment that you just fill up with water. It stays super clean. You can run it through the dishwasher if you want to, but I, I haven't even done that yet. And so far it is my, my all-time favorite humidifier. So this winter I'm trying to be
0: much better about using it. Ooh, that's a good tip. I've been using the Dyson. I literally just started using it about a week ago, though. But yeah, I'm trying to become a little bit more religious about using it.
1: We'll be back next week with a very experimental episode. That's right. We're going to be your guinea pigs for the Hanacure mask. That's the same one that Drew Barrymore made very famous on Instagram
0: a couple of years back. So if you've been thinking about trying it, but you're on the fence, we'll tell you all about our experiences next week. And of course, we'll be talking about the why and how behind many other kinds of masks too. And until then, everybody stay chuck chuck. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure. I'm at Hey Michelle Lee, and I'm at JBie, J B A I L L Y. On our audio team, our executive producer is Ginny Saraswati. Our associate producer is Erin Skahan. And our audio editor is Ashley Tuff, with production support from Ginny Media. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soini Driscoll and Diana Mazzone.
1: Lead researcher is Westry Green, and Project Manager is Monica Perry.
0: The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to our listeners who sent in questions. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.